Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. And Kara, I want to know who's going to touch my face now? Who is going <laughs> to touch my face? Seriously. <laughs> What are you talking about? Well, we're not allowed to touch our own faces. Like who's gonna, that's right. Who's going to oh touch the dog's as face usual, now? As usual, you find the most selfish thing to do with this. You know, it's very terrible exciting coronavirus now. situation. Joe Biden what? is now the young guy in the race. <laughs> He's the young guy. He's the young guy. He is. He is. A dark little What did you think? What little... do you think of the? I mean, we're just like he's now Buddha judges out. You're dreamy. You're another That's dreamy one. Weren't you a little sad? I was a little sad when I heard that. Not even slightly. No, really. I don't care. I don't care. So I you'll. I think you'll. Pick I, I think you'll like this. I think elections are, uh, and we won't talk specifically about the Cantwell a little bit. But I, I was thinking about it last night. My dad. I used to play chess with my father. It was one of the ways we bonded. Mm-hmm. And he used to do these fun games with me. And he'd say, okay, this is a quarter. This is a nickel. This is a dime. What's the fastest way to get to 43 cents? And he would do all these mm-hmm. kind of war games using chessboard to try and talk about strategy. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about, I was going back to when I do, used to do it with my father. If you put a bunch of pieces on a flat surface and you color coded them by demographic groups, which I'm sure is going to outrage people, but say Mayor Pete was rainbow. Klobuchar, Senators Klobuchar and Warren were pink. And then you tilted the board to say, what does America want? Because Democrats are constantly accusing, and there's some, uh, I think, justification here, a Republican Party discriminating and being a bit racist. We've had two major cullings in the uh, Democratic primary. The first was we took out all the people of color. Senators Harris, Booker, Andrew Yang. The next culling is mm-hmm. we've taken out the gay guy, and the next calling is about to be the women. If you just looked at pieces, what's yeah, happening here, and I know you're going to say this does not come of any news, but if a statistician mm-hmm. looked at all the pieces and says, what do these pieces all have in common? It's mm-hmm. just white dudes are the only ones that make it through yes, in the Democratic primary. That. Women and people of color, we've noticed that. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's depressing. It's depressing. But on the plus side, Hillary Clinton's going to have a podcast. so Because we need another it. podcast. We you know what else is really fascinating? I, I'm, I'm, I'm joining on here, but just humor me. I, and I didn't realize this. And that is, you know, uh, so Biden won South Carolina. And what's really interesting, and I think I think uh, people in the white community do this, uh, mm-hmm. and I think I'm guilty of it. We assume people of color just naturally cluster around similar values and ideals as it relates to politics. And I thought the most interesting thing from South Carolina and what looks, and what looks like appear to be shaping up in California and Texas is that the black community is actually trying to shore up the moderate side of the Democratic Party, whereas the Latino bomb that we've been waiting for is finally detonating and it's going much further left. And it looks like they're going to they're going to have the day with Sanders. But it's just and it seems obvious, but the black community and the Latino community should no longer be grouped into kind of this general. None of them should be grouped as a monolith. Well, as gays saying. think this, uh, nobody should monolithly. You know, it's a, it's a more complex situation. I think that's the difficulty is that if we sort of are reductive around people of color, you don't understand. Reductive. Everyone has that's different an awesome needs, and word. again. Everyone cares about health care and things like that. Like yeah. people have a lot of commonality of needs. Um, speaking of health care, uh, the market, let's get into the big story, Scott. Obviously, coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, the markets keep tumbling. Coronavirus keeps spreading. The S&P had its worst week. Yeah. Um, Federal Reserve Chair Jeremy Powell uh, uh, is trying to reaffirm that the central bank will make efforts to fix this. Meanwhile, the Louvre in Paris is closing. Uh, the first person to test positive coronavirus in New York, yeah. reportedly in Manhattan. Um, later uh, tomorrow, I'll be talking to Ron Klain, who was the Ebola response coordinator during the Obama administration on Recode Decode about this. But let's talk about what, what this means, like, you know, for the economy. We're going to focus because we're a business show on the economy. Um, there are political implications. There's all kinds of implications. But, you know, we'll see what happens this week with the stock market. But this is continuing to be a real uh, problem for the economy at, at the same time as people get sick, get sick across the country. Yeah, it's 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 extraordinary and it's difficult to 
you know, you, you can, I don't know about you, but I, you can, sometimes you can go, uh, this morning, for example, I did a meeting, a breakfast meeting, and no one wanted to shake hands, which I thought was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Everyone's yeah, talking that, about yeah. events being canceled. Every, it's, but then you look at the, you look at the data, and I was thinking there's comfort in data, and that is, I think about 90,000 cases, about 3,000 deaths. They say that approximately the fatality rate outside of, uh, of, of China is about 1%. It's very mm-hmm. ageist, this virus, that yeah. if you're yeah. under the age of 40, the fatality rates basically plummet. So far, I don't think there's been a single fatality of anyone under the age of 18. And if you look at, I mean, assume assume a couple million people, there's 90,000, I think, uh, diagnosed cases right now. If it say it goes to 10 million, and that ends up being uh, 100,000 deaths, uh, obviously every death mm-hmm. is enormously tragic, but say it, goes to, say it goes to, you know, 10 million cases, we'll lose 50,000 people this year from opioid overdoses. We'll lose. I know, but this comparison, I, I, I get that. Yeah. I, people like to make these comparisons. We're going to yeah. die. This, this is a Trumpy thing. Like we're going to die more from the regular flu than this. Oh, thing. that hurts. It's still. That it's hurts. still. Sorry. No, you know what I mean. But it's it's it, look. It's still causing like repercussions around everything. And one of yeah, the things that agreed. I think doesn't doesn't get enough attention is the gig economy. And and there was a great story. I think it was I think it was the New York Times. I'm not sure yeah. about the people who just can't leave work. Like baristas, yep. Uber drivers, you know, the people that are waiting on people 100%. that are in this gig economy that can't, don't have time off. They don't have an ability to be sick, essentially. Um, and I think the way our economy has changed so dramatically, and I, you know, back in the day, way long ago, that was the same thing. People couldn't, there wasn't any any kind of safety net for, for people who are working class people. But yeah. it's still the same problem is that there, there's a limit to how much we can quarantine ourselves uh, and wash, you know, wash our hands is obviously the thing you should do. But uh, people tend to not think they think that, you know, put a mask on and these people can go to work. But this is not the case. And that, I think, is a really going to be should be studied later. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're in this situation. And then, of course, there's the stock market, which everybody, everybody's mood is about. Like if, and this stock market tumble really does affect people's thinking about their lives, uh, you know, even though it probably shouldn't, but it certainly does. Um, do you, are you concerned about the, the Scott market tumble? Or are you concerned? What, what is the area of concern you have um, when you're thinking about, you know, economic downturn or economic contraction? You know, if they cancel, say, South by Southwest, which we're supposed to go to, um, that's enormous amounts of money for Austin. If they cancel, you know, all kinds of events, you see the repercussions everywhere. There's no doubt about it, but a couple of things. One, it really is a scale of it has shocked me. Uh, I was in a board call last week, and in an abundance of caution, the management recommended that we quarantine the products that we have manufacturing mm-hmm. in China, and they decided that they, they would isolate the products to ensure that absolutely no bacteria survives on any of the products. I'd never heard that before. I thought, wow, that's mm. taking it to a new level. But use Austin as an example. Austin will take a short-term hit, but the city of Austin is awesome. South by Southwest is awesome. And I don't think, while it may impact them in the next three, six, 12 months, however long it takes to, to play this out, I think it comes back as strong or stronger. I, I wrote a piece saying that I believe uh, Carnival Cruise Lines is going to be fine. I think there's right. companies that take a step down because real, people realize they, they stop going to movies and they realize they don't really miss them. But I think everything else is, is largely temporary. In terms of the stock market going down, Kara... Markets are supposed to go up and they're supposed to go down. And what bothers me right. about this administration and the general viewpoint of baby boomers is that we have decided that the all-important sacrosanct initiative that everyone is supposed to be fighting for is to keep the markets high or basically to keep baby boomers rich because Rebecca Sinanis deserves an opportunity to buy into Amazon at less than 50 times earnings or to buy an <laughs> apartment in Brooklyn for less than $2,000 a square foot. Yes. And the reason why people of our generation have some wealth, hopefully, is because they had the opportunity to buy Netflix at 12 bucks a share. They had an opportunity to buy a house in the Castro for 800 bucks a square foot, not $2,500 a square foot. So, yeah, who benefits? Who gets hurt when the markets go down? All the people controlling all the media, basically baby boomers who think they deserve to stay rich. So they want to artificially inflate the markets. Who benefits from the markets going down? Young people. So burn, baby, burn. Oh, my God. That's a fascinating argument for the end of the stock market. But I like it. I like it, Scott. I like I like your dystopian way of making poor young people rich suddenly. Um, that's a really interesting thing. But we'll see. This is going to have lots of repercussions. We'll be talking about a lot over the next couple of weeks. But one of the bigger stories also is activist investors uh, buying a big chunk of Twitter. And now Jack Dorsey's 
job may be at stake. Elliott Management, the hedge fund that bought the stake, has nominated four directors to the board. As I, may I just say, I did say, I thought activist investors were going to get involved here because I've been hearing from a lot of them. Um, so it only has one class of stock. He's not protected. He has no voting control, uh, like Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. Um, since he's been returned as CEO in 2015, the company's shares have fallen 6.2%, while Facebook's have gained more than 121% during that time. He also has another job at Square as CEO. What, what, do, you, what, what do you think the strategy is? Can you explain the strategy well, well, to Elliot Management? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Th- this is literally what? like when Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett were married and, sent, and each of them fighting <laughs> for the mirror. Let me get this. You're taking credit for the activism at Twitter? No, I said it was coming. Come on. Oh, God. Come on. Elliot basically showed up and signed my December 12th letter with a $2 billion pen, and you don't even acknowledge that? Yes, you're right. You're right. Okay, go ahead. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Okay. Well, you wrote this letter. So let's. Can you update us on the letter? And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to tape. Is that right, Rebecca? We're gonna go to tape on this thing. Um, when you when he announced he was gonna be moving to Africa for part of the year. The letter speaks for itself. I think Twitter needs to start commanding the space it occupies. I think if you were to look at any company that has the equivalent reach or influence, it's a company trading it. 20 to 40x the valuation. Uh, I think there's there's no company in the world whose opportunity relative to its performance is this out of whack. So you you I'm giving you credit. You were very angry about the Africa situation. Um, but can can we listen to me? We're both right. Oh How about God. that? We're both so right. So I have some disclosures to make. Uh, I bought a bunch of Twitter stock this morning and I am in yeah. dialogue with uh, a bunch of the investors, including Elliot. So with that, and you like to be like, you like to do this kind of thing. You're, you've been involved in these kinds of things. Governance right? matters. This is a layup. Yes, this is the mother okay. of all obvious changes at a corporate governance level. We have a company that is exceptionally important in the midst of an election that does not command the space it occupies, that trades at a fraction of the value of any company with near the reach or influence that has underperformed the market and the S&P. So I know what's the solution. Let's get a part-time CEO who spends his afternoon at a company where 89% of his wealth is. And if that's not enough, he should peace out and go 10 time zones away. This is literally the most obvious IQ test in the history of corporate governance. Jack Dorsey will be out within 30 days. The board will come to an agreement with Elliot within the next 10. What what do you think happens? You think 30 days he's out? Wow, that's Probably less. I I think that's generous. Really? Explain how that's going to work for the people who don't understand uh, activist investors. It's very easy. Because they've had, not all activist investors have been successful. And in Twitter, they've they've come at them before. Let me be clear. I showed up to a gunfight with a squirt gun. They've shown up with a howitzer. They own about $2 million of the stock. I imagine every investor they're calling and talking, every shareholder is nodding their head, rolling their eyes and saying, I agree. The last 48 hours was a bunch of investor relations, um, proxy solicitors, corporate governance lawyers, the general counsel of Twitter, and they had to do these calls in the morning because Jack is in Namibia or wherever he is. And basically all the board members are coming to the conclusion they can either be, be Felicity Huffman and cop a deal now and give up all three board seats and let Jack go, or they can be Aunt Becky and go to reputational prison and be the board members who made the WeWork board look responsible. This is over before it started. It is ridiculous. It reflects our idolatry of innovators. Unless I expect the board to either give up three board seats in the next 10 days or demonstrate evidence that Jack Dorsey is Jesus Christ and not subject to the same space-time continuum as the rest of us. This is, in a word or in a term, fucking ridiculous. This is a corporate governance layup. Stock is going to scream. This is a company that has unbelievable potential that is down that they so impl- we talk about the unbelievable potential. This is fascinating. So w- talk about the unbelievable potential. And then what could go wrong for these activist shareholders? What If the board does decide to stick with them, sure. um, what what could happen? Well, okay. So uh, how I learn about coronavirus. Let's game this out, Scottish. Scottish. Well, what, okay, just on a basic level, what, what logos of any company in the world are spread across every other media company 24 by 7? I mean, this company... Right. This company has such incredible reach and is so important amongst the most influential people in the world. There's been a striking right. lack of Media, innovation. political people, entertainment. Yep. Uh, so, I look, I, I think this has tremendous, not, not only I think at some point if you have some safety on the downside, because I think if the stock went down, someone would probably step in and acquire it. But any sort of product innovation here, I think advertisers, Kara, are looking, desperately looking yep. for an option to Facebook and Google. 
Uh, 100%. 100%. One of the things I'm thinking about is how good the ads on Instagram are, for example. I was just spending a lot of time looking at them. And that was going to be Twitter. Twitter was going to be doing a lot of that. And they were, if you remember, I mean, going going to Con, they talked about it, and Adam Bain was there. And that was sort of the, and then it just went away. Like, they had a lot of product development. Yeah. The product guy is is gone in the afternoons, and now he's gone to Africa. And if you think about, Mm I mean, essentially, this company really hasn't had. I, th- I, th- I think it looks, smells, and feels the same as it did five years ago. And also, there is a core group of people who are really, arguably, the most influential people in the world, whether it's actors, influencers, media, journalists, uh, politicians, who are obsessed and addicted to Twitter. Yeah. And that addiction should translate to margin, which should translate to shareholder value. And this is a company, any other company that has a fraction of the reach and influence of Twitter trades yeah, at 10 to 25 it, it times the value. performs below. You know how they say something punches above their weight? They punch below. Well below. And, and, and which is interesting. But I'm looking at the board right now. Omid yeah. Cortesani, yeah. Google exec, former Google exec. Yeah. I know him really well. He's not going to turn on him. Patrick Pichette, same thing, former Google exec. He was the first uh, He was the first CFO of Google, the first really – he was. I mean, there may have been one before that, but there, he was the critical CFO of, yeah. of Google forever. There's Jack. There's Martha Lane Fox, uh, who is uh, – who is. Uh, I, I, I don't know a lot about her background, but I, I, she was put there by Jack. Um, there's all kinds of people like Brett Taylor, who is who's a president and uh, he works at Salesforce. Um, he's also an insider, David Rosenblatt. These are a lot of insiders of of, yeah. of, of Internet. They're Internet friends. Do you know what I mean? Like and so I wonder what who's going to be the mover on this group, because I, I don't know which one will will do something. I don't think Amit will. I think it's already oh, these. Okay, let's assume. Okay, they'll turn him on. All let's right, okay, assume, all right, okay. Let's assume they love Jack and they think he's the right CEO. Yeah. You know what they love more? Money. Their reputations. Yeah. And yeah, okay. every day that they put up a fight here, and he, this isn't a dialogue. This isn't even an issue. Right. It's an IQ test. It's okay. No matter what you think. By the way, Jack deserves a lot of credit. A, a, a remarkable innovator. He's garnered several billion dollars in exchange for that innovation. The question is, is what has gotten us here today going to get us where we need to be? And yep. does this yep. company, for question one, does this company warrant a full-time CEO? Should mm-hmm. the CEO of Twitter, in addition to focusing his professional energies 100% on this company, be within nine time zones of HQ? Yeah, this isn't every, I can't imagine a single shareholder said, no, we're going to stick with the part-time guy in Africa. Yeah, I just yeah. don't. And every single metric that shareholders are supposed to uh, evaluate a company on as fiduciaries for the firefighters, the police, the wealthy families they represent is supposed to be shareholder return. And this company is massively underperformed. This is yeah. over before it started. All right. Okay. So 10, I'm going to hold it 10 days. Um, and, and who's it? Who's the CEO? Who's an actual CEO? Oh, I don't know, but think about this. This could be, yeah, there's, there's several former corporate executives. Todd Morgenfell, the C- CFO of Pinterest. I've gotten to know him. He's a very thoughtful guy. Dick Costello, who gets a lot of grief and was kind of, his image was tarnished. You realize when he joined Twitter, it was 78 cents a share in yeah, the private did, market. And now it's, th- the and then he grew it to $38 a share. Mm-hmm. Adam Bain is considered a fantastic operating executive. Mm-hmm. Put together a list of the 25 most impressive people to run this company they yeah, all return the call. They may not take right. the job, but this is an incredible right. opportunity for a CEO. It's not It's not who do you pick to be CEO. It's who do you not pick. This is going to be a fantastic assignment. Also, the only thing recruiter. is, the only issue is, I have to say, is getting into the, the, the Trumpist of it, the Trumpiness of it, like making these big decisions on yeah. political advertising, making it's it's a it's a, one of the reasons a lot of these this company hasn't gotten bought yet, which yeah. many people thought it would um, that Google would move in or Apple or anybody. There's all kinds of owners of this. Salesforce had looked at it. There's that there's that element. There could be a purchaser um, it was every single person I talked to was like, oh. Twitter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. fixing the mess that is like n- and not so much the product yeah. mess, but the toxicity. Uh, and again, everyone thought 100%. about the product mess, but that's easily fixed. Uh, fi- you know, updating Twitter for the next. What gen- do you miss- think? You know this stuff as well as yes. I do. do you, let me ask you straight up. Should right. Jack Dorsey be replaced as CEO of Twitter? I believe he should. 
I have thought that for a while. You know, I've talked about the lack of product innovation. I've talked about the the, the, the nobody's home kind of thing. I think they've got some great executives, and Kayvon Beckper is is lovely as a product. They've had a lot of product man- heads there. Um, I think um, Vijagade has tried her best. You know, very smart. She's the C- the the CLO, um, and has been doing a lot of the behind the scenes decision making and stuff like that. But it is a weird corporate environment. You know what I mean? I think there's individually some very good executives there. Um, but there, the leadership of Jack has been, he's hard, he's not, you know, he, it's not like he's a pain in the neck or anything like that. It's that he's he's absent and godlike. You know what I mean? Like he may speak to you at some point, he may not speak to you. And it, it just, it, to me, it's been the biggest, this is one of the greatest media properties ever and the most fun to run and the most full of controversy and so many difficult questions. And I would love to see an active CEO in there who's really pushing, pushing advertising you know, there's all kinds of things. I, I have a hundred ideas for Twitter. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you could do this. And, you know, I'm a big user of it. Yeah. And I love, I, we love there's it. something We're great. We're addicted to great, it. Yeah, not just that. But, we love it. But it's fun. But paid there's product, fun. There's... niche products. And the yeah, reality is yep. we don't even need to go about a rabbit hole. We just need to find the right guy or gal pay, who comes I'd up with their own Twitter. product ideas. I'd pay for Twitter. Hunter, I would. I, I'd pay real cabbage for that. I'd real pay, I would because I really like it. And there's also not just the toxicity, and I agree there's a lot of toxicity on it, but the is the delight in it. There's also yeah. a lot of delight, and there's so much potential Agreed. there to be a great media property. And to, to you know, what Instagram—I don't use Instagram the same way. And it's like they could take so—they could just grab so much stuff from Instagram and put it in there. And I think it's because—I don't know why it's not happening there. It just—it's been one of those companies that has it. Wait, I have an idea. Uh, I have an idea. But, <laughs> in keeping with the board's approach to corporate governance and leadership, you and I will be yeah. co-CEOs. I'll move to Rwanda and you become the CEO of a payments company. <laughs> and we'll run it. We'll no. run it. The jungle right, cat and the dog are taking over. We're going to take a quick break. Um, but what would you? What would be if you were the CEO? Scott Galloway is the CEO. And obviously yeah. you're on the other side. You're fighting. Thank you for disclosing that. I own no Twitter stock. I have mm. no dog in this hunt or whatever the expression, the manly Oh, your dog's is. in this hunt, jungle cat. No, my dog's. I just would like Twitter hunt. to innovate. I would like yeah. Twitter to innovate. That's yeah, what I would 100%. like. 100%. Um, I, and I think the stock's too low for, for what it is. I yep. do get punches. Uh, below its word words. and um, word, my so, sister. Word and word. All right, but what would the first thing you would do since you are uh, you are you you started this off with your mean letter about Jack yeah. in Africa? What what were what was what would you do the first three things, and then we're going to go to break. So the first thing I would do is fire me and bring in a CEO and tell him or her that it's up to him or her to understand and listen to everyone in the company and then come to their own conclusions around what needs to be done and as a board member support them. So I know that I don't mean that to be a cop out. If you're going to force me for tactical yeah, issues, yes. I think you age gate the thing. I verified identity. Uh, okay. I think I think two thirds of the toxicity goes away when people actually have to behave and say things based on who they actually okay. are. And then okay. I think a series of pilot programs around niche paid products, whether it's financial services or politics that encourage people like us to get more engaged and pay for something that is better, uses AI to screen our filters and maybe gives our voices more enhanced coverage. I think there's a ton of opportunity here. All right. Okay. And edit the edit button. That would be yeah, what I would the edit do. Button. The edit Excuse button. Me. Anyway, uh, Scott, that's great. This will be fascinating. We're going to hold in 10 days. 10 days, right? Oh, shit's wait, about to get say? real, Kara. Ten, wait, what are you saying? 10 days for him within to go? Within 10 days. I believe within 10 days, the board is going to come we'll to an these. agreement. They've lost. This is over. Okay. This is okay. this is they Felicity Huffman going. This is this is you Felicity Huffman's Felicity lawyer Huffman. going to Felicity. You need to cut a deal yesterday. Right. Okay. And so the board is going to cut a deal with Elliot, and we're going to see uh, Jack is Jack is going to step down. This has just gone on. Uh, this is just this has gone on. Is, way, is there way anything too long. to the fact that Elliot's a big uh, Trump supporter or anything like that? Is there any? anything of that. In so that so just to be clear, is... just to be clear, the guy running this is a guy named Jesse Cohen. He's a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And unless they've, uh, I don't know them well, but I know them, unless they've totally fooled me, right. they have $40 billion under management. And yeah, they if they were they, doing- This is about money. You're right. This is about a product that is not 100% doing as well care. As They don't should. look yep. red. They don't look blue. They, yeah, look, they green. look green. And if they started, they look, oh, if it came green. out that there was any political motivation here that was in any way putting their limiteds return at risk, they would go from mm-hmm. $40 billion in management to $10 You're billion. Right. And the thing that gives Paul Singer his political power is money since Citizens United. And the way he makes mm-hmm. money is being focused on one thing, and that is returns for his limiteds. Politics has nothing to do with okay. this at all. I just want to bring it out there. I'm just bringing it up. Anyway, it's time for a quick break. We'll be right back with a friend of Pivot, New York Times reporter Kevin Roos and Wins and Fails. 
Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, we're back. We have a friend of Pivot, the New York Times reporter Kevin Roos, who also has fantastic hair in the studio. He covers technology. He's about to publish his book called Future Proof, which I must say I am the inspiration for. Um, Super Tuesday is upon us. So let's have it out on our elections about whether they should be analog or digital. What's going on? Kevin writes a ton about this. So, Kevin, welcome. Thanks. I think this is the first time we've ever been on a podcast together. How well, is that possible? Not the last, let me just say. Good. Let me just say. Good. Um, so so you're an expert on, you write a lot about election security and and, and the, especially the social media impact of it. Talk a little bit about where we are. I mean, after Iowa, obviously, was a digital disaster. Um, bring us up to speed. Which, which apps are being used for Super Tuesday, how they're likely to affect the election or not at all or anything else? Well, so we know that Iowa was a total disaster, right? And a big part of why that was was because there was this app that was, you know, tallying the votes and recording them and sending them to the state Democratic Party. And when I heard the word app in relation to, uh, you know, the the Iowa caucuses, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my whole sort of like insides kind of shriveled up because Mm -hmm. this is the this is the doomsday scenario, right? This is the thing that every election security expert is worried about is that we'll introduce some new piece of technology which into the voting have, process. Which we should have, possibly. Well, possibly, yeah. yeah. So so basically, it's really interesting. When you talk to people in tech about basically any any element of society, their solution involves like putting more tech into it. More mm-hmm. tech equals better. Mm-hmm. When you talk to people who deal with elections, they say the exact opposite thing. Like they think that in order to be secure, our elections should be as low tech as possible. I see. Like, like basically there should be paper Rocks. ballots. Rocks. Yeah, like I, I went back and did some research. The ancient Greeks actually used to throw pebbles, pebbles into urns right. Yeah, that's right. to count the votes. And like that's basically what they're saying we should do. Not mm-hmm. so far as rocks, but paper ballots, um, no sort of connected uh, voting machines. And a lot of mm-hmm. states are now using these sort of internet connected voting machines. They say terrible idea. Those can get hacked. So basically, the people who know the most about this subject have been yelling for years that this move to upgrade our technology, our voting technology, may actually be making our elections more vulnerable. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Scott, what do you think about that? Rocks? You know, it's interesting because I think there is a gestalt in the U.S. where software is supposed to be the answer to everything. And if you look at what happened in Iowa, everything can be reverse engineered to technology, even old technologies, much less a, a, an app that wasn't beta tested. But the telephone lines, as soon as the telephone number got out, my understanding is these outside bad actors started crashing the phone lines. And so, you know, get get a group of high school students in an abacus. And uh, let me ask you this, Kevin. Does... Does, does Do your friends call you Hanging Chad? Is that your nickname? <laughs> <laughs> Depends which ones. I hope Chad. not. I hope oh not. God. I hope not. I mean, yeah, there, so as you, as you mentioned, like, we all remember Hanging Chads from the right. 2000 election. There are problems with paper ballots, too. But the problems with paper ballots are at least you can go back and look at what happened. You right. can go back and re-examine mm-hmm. the paper ballot and say, is that Chad hanging too much? Is it not hanging? Mm-hmm. Like, you can do sort of recounts and investigations. With paperless voting systems, these e-voting systems, that gets a lot harder. Um, I, I had a life-changing experience on this. I went a couple years ago to this security conference in Vegas with all these hackers, mm-hmm. and they did this thing. They bought up a bunch of old voting machines on eBay that were actually used in previous voting elections, you know, a couple mm-hmm. hundred bucks a piece. They put them in a room, and they told the hackers, like, go at it. 
Mm-hmm. Like, see see how long this it takes you to crack these machines. Yeah. This is what passes for fun at security conferences. Mm-hmm. And they expected, you know, it might take them a couple days to start breaking in. These are state-of-the-art things. Within a day, like, all of them had gotten hacked. Mm-hmm. Some of them had got hacked in, like, less than an hour. Wow. So it was really And what did they do? Startling. Just change votes? Just change? They changed votes. Someone actually rigged it up so that they could, like, you know, you could play music on one of the voting apps. I don't mm-hmm. know how they did that. Right. Um, and these were all decommissioned, but... These kind of machines are still in use all over the country. Right. And so how do you what, – what, what is the answer then? Because the idea is that you, you do vote on your phone because you want to bring more voting to people. And this would be a way, aside from making everybody – giving it a holiday, making voting a holiday, which I think would go a long way towards more people voting. But the idea of doing – you doing everything else on your phone. Voting would be nice if everyone was able to vote, especially young people. For sure. And I think the the sort of recommendations around voting machines sort of fly counter to a lot of the conventional wisdom in tech, which is that friction is bad Mm -hmm. and we should reduce it, right? Make it as easy as possible to do everything, including voting. Mm -hmm. With voting, you actually, you you want a little bit of friction in there. You don't want, you know, voter ID. You don't want poll taxes. Like that's that's a different kind of friction that's voter suppression. Mm -hmm. But in the actual technology of itself, you actually want a little bit of friction there to prevent people from exploiting it, to prevent hackers from overseas from breaking into our machines and changing vote totals. It's a lot harder to do that if these are paper ballots than if they're all connected computers. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, voter ta- voter lists too? That's what I understand is very vulnerable. The idea that who can who can vote and the voter list changing addresses slightly and things like that. Yeah, because those those parts are all administered locally. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, we have one database of all the voters in America, like states, counties, uh, election officials in at the local level keep track of all those. And those are not always the most technically sophisticated people. A lot Mm -hmm. of them, you know, skew older. They haven't, you know, grown up in an atmosphere of cybersecurity training. Like they're just not equipped to do the kind of work that you would want them to be able to do to protect against interference. So you, it's a really paper. Scott, again, I, yeah. what, do you, what do you imagine? Do you think people should vote on, with, know, on apps or not? I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I've come full circle since Iowa. As a Democrat and as someone who's in technology, I was immediately a, just a huge proponent of it should all be on our phone. And we want to expand the participation and make it as easy as possible for people to be represented in our democracy. And the easiest way to do that is an, an app on Android or, or Apple. and and, and in a partisan way, I thought that that would help my democratic uh, causes because I thought it might reach into that's community. benefit. It might reach into yeah. the communities that I, I think might skew Democrats so or Republicans try and make it harder to vote. And there's definitely a balance there. But after Iowa, I actually am coming to believe that technology, whether it's Netflix or our phones or Instagram, are slowly but surely sequestering us from interacting with each other. And I think that there would be nothing better then, as you said, Carol, like for Hearst Corporation gives people it's a holiday for Election Day, then to encourage people to get out and meet their brothers and sisters and their fellow citizens and go behind a curtain. And in my in faculty housing in the lobby, we are a we're a we're a pollster voting station. And it's you know what? It's wonderful. You walk through there, you feel American. There's a comedy of 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 man and woman. And I wonder if we should go the other way, because it's very hard to hack a piece of paper. And if we should make our election days one of those moments where we all get together, touch, smell and feel each other and just recognize how wonderful it is to be American. Well, what, now, think about this. But, but companies are investing in election technology. What are the key what are the key trends right now in that? Yes, yeah, so there are a couple trends. One is there are some people developing these apps that you mm-hmm. mentioned. Like I, I, you know, got pitched this blockchain voting app oh, thing. Oh, God. When you say um, blockchain voting, I just want to <laughs> well, and, cry. And, you know, I, I think the people who make this stuff, like they're well-intentioned. They mm-hmm. want to increase civic participation. Right. Um, I just think it's a horrible idea. Like mm-hmm. I just think that we should absolutely not. Kevin loves my idea, Kara. Kevin's on my <laughs> side. <laughs> Apple pie and baseball. That's right. Oh, God. Exactly. Don't you, have, but, do you go to your polling station, Kara? Where do you go? Or do you vote I'm, by I'm mail? I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm going to go you tomorrow. You didn't vote by mail? No, I didn't vote by mail. I'm, I like to walk in. I like to walk into the garage of the people I right. see once every oh. year and That's say hello like, to oh, them. That's Kara. Hey, no, they do not. I'm not famous <laughs> in voting. Yeah, I, just I go voted over. by mail, and the only bad thing about that is you don't get the sticker. Which I, I like the sticker. I, I like, like the, the whole sticker. thing. It's, right. it's like when you get the flu shot. But you get then the there are there are also efforts within government to sort of mandate 
safer elections. Right. And a lot of you know bills have been passed. There was this bill that passed in, in the House called mm-hmm. the SAFE Act, which would have made it mandatory for every um, vote to have a paper backup yeah. um, that you could look at in case of a recount. But so far, Republicans are blocking a lot of and that stuff. And why are they blocking that? Your guess is as good as mine. I would like your guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. No, I your guess is better, a... Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, not much is getting passed with bipartisan support. But um, but that's, I mean, I, I think that there are people for whom the current election system works fine. Works fine. All right. So let's get to um, uh, uh, Facebook. You've been al- written a lot about Facebook's impact on elections. That's one of the things. Are they prepared for 2020? What's changed since 2016, 18? Well, I've been doing a lot of reporting on this over mm-hmm. the past couple of weeks. And, and my takeaway is basically that Facebook and all the other tech platforms, they're very prepared for the election of 2016. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they are ready to right. get those Russians out. Um, they are ready to secure the platform against WikiLeaks and hacks. And, yeah. and, and, and they are ready to fight the last war. Right. But they are not ready. I heard they're coordinating with the Mondale campaign, which gives me a lot of reassurance. <laughs> what, what, tell me why. What do you mean by that? What is that? Well, the threats have just changed so much since right. 2016. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't see so far, you know, Knockwood, the kind of like wide scale Russian trolling campaigns and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so that's not so much of an issue. But now you have all these domestic bad actors, these right. people in the U.S. who are imitating the tactics of the Russians. So, who, Such as? Well, such as a lot of the sort of hyper-partisan Facebook pages, mm-hmm. some of the, you know, YouTube channels. Like, they're they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it from inside the U.S., mm-hmm. so there's not that much the So they've seen what the do. Russians did. Exactly. And they're redoing it. And the platforms are, you know, for better or for worse, like, much more hesitant to take action against those people than they if they can pin it on Russia. So they can do the same thing. So they can do essentially the so same thing. So what are they preparing for? What have they prepared? Just Russian, to, to get rid of Iranians or Russians? I think from everyone that I've talked to, the platforms are way better prepared for, like, Russia hacking, uh, other foreign state actors um, getting into uh, trolling campaigns and influence operations and mm-hmm. things like that. So that's the stuff that they're, they've actually like spent a lot of money and, and taken a lot of thought you know, and care to, to sort of protect themselves against. But then there are all these new weird ways. What's that, the weirdest and newest? Well, I, I think the Bloomberg campaign has been a really interesting challenge oh, for Facebook Scott's specifically. Because they've been doing all this meme stuff. They've been paying these influencers to make this sponsored content. And they just didn't have policies for that kind of thing. They mm-hmm. didn't see it coming. They right. didn't think like, you know, some billionaire is going to pay meme accounts to post, you know, fake text messages mm-hmm. uh, on their accounts. And so they just they've had to just kind of scramble to figure out like what to do about this. What stuff. are they doing? Well, they're doing some new disclosure stuff around like if, you know, there's an influencer who gets paid by Bloomberg to, you know, say Mike Bloomberg is the, you know, the coolest candidate in the world. Um, they have to say like sponsored by Mike Bloomberg on there. Uh-huh. Um, but some of these accounts are private. So Facebook really has no way of, of tracking um, what's going on on them. And it's become a real problem for them. I mean, they've had tons of meetings about it. There's been a lot of hand-wringing internally about what to do about this. Mm-hmm. These are just the kinds of things that they didn't see coming. And then what are the Trump people doing? What are they up to? Well, they're putting out a ton of ads. I mean, they right. are flooding social media with millions of ads, spending a ton of money doing it, and by all accounts, like doing it pretty effectively. So they're doing basically 2016 on steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, people who study this kind of thing are, are on the Democratic side are really worried about it. What are the Democrats doing? I mean, they're spending a lot on digital advertising. I think, you know, they're starting to catch up in terms of how much money they're spending on Facebook and Twitter and, and not Twitter. They don't allow political ads anymore, but on yeah, YouTube. I'm going to ask you um, But they, I think they realize that they have some way to catch up. And in some cases, the Trump campaign has, uh, you know, an easier time because they already got that huge audience. They know which me- kind of messages work and they they don't have to, you know, spend their money, their time raising small dollar donations to get into the debates and things like that. Kevin, what's, a... what's your view on political advertising on these platforms? Um, I, I, I think that I don't buy the sort of suggestion that this is sort of a that ads are our voice and that we can't, you know, if we if we say that you can't lie in your ads, that that's tantamount to, you know, telling you uh, who to vote for or something mm-hmm. like that, that that's swinging elections. Um, I, I actually am more, I'm less worried about the advertising. I'm more worried about the organic side, the stuff that people well, explain that. For. Explain. Well, because for advertising, there's, you know, there's transparency now. Facebook allows you to search, you know, who's running which ads on which platforms. Um, and there are, you know, sort of limits to how much 
stuff can spread through advertising. There are limits to the effectiveness there. Um, the organic side is, where, is kind of still the Wild West. I mean, that is still where you get people sort of doing these engagement hacks to get more shares and, and likes and clicks on their stories. Um, that's where you get the sort of partisan media organizations um, doing their thing. I mean, if you look at the organic side of, of Facebook, I'd be terrified if I was a Democrat. I look mm-hmm. at the top 10 list every day mm-hmm. of which stories are performing best on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, Fox News, Ben Shapiro, Daily Caller, uh, Fox News, Ben Shapiro, Daily. It's like it's all almost all right wing news every day. But let me ask you, is, um, that a, is that a function of that's where America is or that the, those entities just are just more are just better at uh, at misleading uh, uh, users of the platform? I think it's a couple of things. One, I think it reflects who's on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. They tend to be older. Maybe they tend to be whiter than, than other platforms. So I think since 2016, you know, who's on Facebook has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's because these organizations have gotten really good at sort of hacking the news feed and getting their yeah. messages out and picking the stories that are going to aggravate people or, uh, you know, make them angry at someone. Kevin, um, enragement is enga- engagement is enragement. Exactly. Right. You would make a great social media yeah. manager. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Anyway, so what are they going to do? So what's going to happen? What's party leadership doing? To Obviously, the Republicans love this, and they're doing a good job in sort of letting Brad Parcell do everything he wants. So that's in his hands. But what is there anything that can happen to make this more fair or, or, or that these companies can do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they could do a lot. They don't have to allow political advertising. There's no, there's no, you know, reason that there's no law saying if you're a platform, yeah. you have to let people yeah, pay you money to did, spread which is, political messages. And Google was in the middle and then Facebook's uh, as the outlier, I guess, or not the outlier, whatever, the other side. Totally. I mean, I think they could, they could do, you know, sort of more on the organic side to sort of prevent misinformation from going viral. They, they now have these f- third party fact checkers at Facebook, but there are only, you know, a couple well. dozen of them. They're, it's kind of slow. They're, over, they're overworked. They have, mm-hmm. you know, too few staff and too few resources to do what they need. Um, and by the time they get to fact-checking something, usually millions of people have already seen it. Right. So I think that there's, there are a lot that they could do on that side, but that would require, re- like, sort of rethinking the whole, the whole model. All right, my last question. Uh, Bloomberg, do you think it's a good thing what he's doing or, or not? Or just that he's just living the life that we live now, essentially, or, or, or playing to that? I think it's fascinating. I mean, what a what a I, I don't think people quite understood how rich Mike Bloomberg is because mm-hmm. um, there are like tiers of really rich guy. Right. Mm-hmm. There's Tom Steyer, who's a billionaire, but not a 60 billionaire. Mm-hmm. And for Mike Bloomberg, I mean, we've never had someone in U.S. electoral politics who can spend a billion dollars like that and not miss it. Mm-hmm. And so it, what I think is we're seeing a, effectively like a subsidy for every, anyone that runs advertising in the United States is, is, is having a great quarter mm-hmm. because of the Bloomberg campaign. Um, but I also think we're going to see if there is a limit to the effectiveness of digital advertising. If you spend $500 million in six months yeah. running ads on social media, like does that move the needle? Can you mm-hmm. actually convince people to do something that they wouldn't have otherwise done? Yeah, can right. you bring a wallet to a gunfight? And, and it's so interesting what you said about Michael Bloomberg, just in terms of proportions, LeBron James will make $50 million this year in salary and endorsements. So if he plays basketball another 1,200 years, he'll catch up to Michael Bloomberg. Oh, my God. Exactly. Sports. Of course, sports. In any case, Kevin, we really appreciate being on show. And your book, Future Proof, we're going to get You're coming on the Rico Deco podcast to talk about it. Anytime. It's called Future Proof, right? Is that the right way? Yeah, you have to say it like that. Okay, exactly. All right. So it's about how to proof yourself from the future, which will be great. Good hair. Right, thank you so much, Good Kevin Roos from the New York Times. He's a wonderful columnist. Read his things. Thank you for coming. Thanks for Thanks, Kevin. illuminating us. Thanks, Scott. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. Obviously, you win for the letter writing to remove Dorsey as CEO, but we already knew that. You get yeah. all the credit. I get a tiny bit of credit saying I thought you the do. hedge fund people would come in. Yeah, like, I'm hearing from them. All right, do. but you get all the credit for removing him from office. You Thanks, Mom. CEOs. I am desperate you for your approval. CEOs. I am desperate for you your approval. Two, you, what you are is attacking CEOs with excellent hair. I see that what's going on here. <laughs> and I would worry. I'm trying to think who has good really hair. good hair. Who has good hair? None of like, let me think of well no not Zuckerberg so you're not going to Newman's touch him. gone uh, who, Newman's Zoom's gone yeah Newman <laughs> know, we'll to, Newman anyone with good hair you're in big trouble because Cot Gallery is coming your way anyway uh, win and fail give me some wins and fails. So I'll start with my win, and I'm always loath to give the Trump administration any credit, but I think mm-hmm. the peace agreement with the Taliban and our exit from yeah. this 18 year war is a 
is a win. I, I think we overlook the incredible sacrifice of the 2,500 men and women who gave their lives, Agreed. the 3,500 of our coalition force, forces, the 30,000 men and women who were severely injured in this 18-year war, the 170,000 Afghanis who died, including 40,000 civilians. I wonder that, I worry that we get into these forever wars because uh, unlike any other past wars, we've outsourced it economically and from a, uh, a tragedy standpoint. And that is in World War II, you knew people who died, you knew people who lost their sons, you weren't able to get a Hershey bar or a steak and you paid higher taxes and we made Maytag stop producing washing machines and produce uh, B-17 super fortresses. And I worry because we're dependent upon debt, because we've outsourced military honor and service to a, a group of military families and certain demographic groups that we no longer feel the pain of wars and we're willing to endure them because we don't really I feel am them. with you 199%. I think this is right. It's also the plot of Homeland this season. It's scary, um, isn't is, it? Have you been watching I know, it's, Homeland? I know. I love oh Homeland. Oh, my gosh. I love that show. I love that show so it's much. Amazing. I can't even tell you. It's the last season, I think. Um, I have to say it's exactly the plot, which is – it's not going so well for yeah. Homeland people. But it's a really interesting – I agree wow. with you. This this uh, forever wars are just – But 18-year wars and, and people immediately leap to – and they should be asking questions. What happens to women's rights? What happens – are they really going to hold true and not fund al-Qaeda? But you know what? what I, as you get older, I, what I've come to the conclusion of, there just is no moral clarity around geopolitics. And it we yeah. have been there 18 years it yeah, that's exactly what Bo Bridges said last night to Carrie Matheson. Like this is eight. In fact, there were eighteen years of this. It's just like it was really interesting because he was talking about the idea of the sacrifice over that much time. I would agree with you. I think that's good. What about uh, a, a fail? What's your fail? So my fail is I, I think there's tremendous opportunity here. I think the real fear or the real tragedy around the coronavirus is not the the real danger or the real risk isn't contracting coronavirus. The real fear is that you contract it and then pass it on to someone who's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that is the vast majority of the population would survive. And there's even a large portion of the population that wouldn't know they would have it. So the question is, how do we rally uh, the resources and the acumen and the kind of leadership to ensure that, A, we can get cheap testing kits out? And I think there's an opportunity Unfortunately, our tech companies have become more like nation states and they have the, the most IQ, the most capital. And what I'll say is my fail is an opportunity. And that is I would love to see a Mark Benioff, a Satya Nadella say, how do we use Android, Apple, CRM technology, uh, manufacturing supply chain technology to, if people are willing, find out if potentially they've been exposed, get them a cheap testing kit as quickly as possible. If they're worried about testing, put them on an Amazon show using Amazon Alexa and Salesforce. And in a moment of alliance, a moment that brought together the British, the Russians, and the Americans, said big tech is going to figure out a way to coordinate with the CDC and try and cauterize this. I think there's a big opportunity for the technology players to come in and push back on a existential threat that could be really ugly. And I haven't seen a lot of discussion or it, all the discussion has been around what does it do for our stock price? What's it going to do mm -hmm. for our supply chain? Well, you know what? Pretend, pretend we're in a war. Pretend that the Commonwealth comes before shareholder value. What is it you are going to do? We're just talking about it. That's true. I agree with you. I like that when you're like this, but you were literally just talking about shareholder. Like you got to clean this up for shareholder value. They don't care about politics. And there's an opportunity. Case, so Mark Benioff, Satya Nadella, there are some right. incredibly impressive leaders here who are who are civic minded. There is yeah. an opportunity to get everyone in a room and say, what could we do? As what could we right. do to flex our muscles and put our shoulder down into this thing? And just as splitting the atom ar arrested the, the march of Hitler, how can science and technology and the resources these companies have cauterize this thing? Yeah, I like it. I like that. That's very nice. That's really good. My uh, win uh, was my brother and the Surgeon General Jerome Adams, which who asked people to stop buying surgical masks during the Dr. coronavirus. Dr. Swisher. Dr. Swisher had Jeffrey? he got really whacked on Twitter that he was he get, yeah. he did a whole long stream about that you shouldn't these masks even N95 masks do not help. And then he explained it like he's a doctor and he's like this doesn't these don't get in and this is why you shouldn't do it. This is the things you do, which is basically wash your hands and stay home if you're sick um, or you seem sick. Um, 
And it was, and Jerome Adams said the same things as there, people are buying up these surgical masks and causing kinds of, they need to be there for healthcare workers. And so they had to get more, but people in their hoardy ways, you know, everyone's going to the store and buying right. beans and stuff like that uh, here in San Francisco and elsewhere. Um, he, he's, uh, the idea, Surgeon General Jerome Adams said this, stop buying surgical masks during coronavirus because they're not going to help and they need them the for, healthcare, uh, workers, for yeah. healthcare workers. And it's critically important. And I thought that was a win. And it's a fail on the part of people. I, I get panic, but you have to really think, you have to list, not fall prey to scare tactics. And I, yep. a lot of people are scared. Like they, they are, they are, it seems it's really interesting. Um, and then I think uh, a fail, I don't really have a fail this week. I think it's, uh, I think, I think, I think Jack Dorsey has to think really hard about what he's done there and what to do. Um, and I don't. I, I agree with you. I probably isn't going to save his job. Um, but uh, I think uh, I think it's too bad because there's a property that really a uh, lot of opportunity there, especially right now when it's so everyone's using it so heavily. Um, and it's uh, it's been a fail for that board. I'd say the board is at failure more than anybody else. Hundred um, percent. It's that, it's in that. it's. He might lack self-awareness, but the gross negligence here has been on the part of the board. I'm sorry, I was interrupting your fail. That's okay. That's my fail. That's my fail. You're right. You're right. You're gross negligence on the part of the board. Well, we'll see what happens, Scott Gallery. See if you can get another scalp of yours. Let's hope the stock market, even though you don't think it's the proxy for everything, it is important to a lot of people, the mm -hmm. global coronavirus outbreak. And elections have all sorted themselves out. There'll be Super Tuesday, and we'll see what, what happens uh, in that um, by the time we next talk. And oh, really can we have a bonus win? Right, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. First openly gay man to win a, the Iowa caucus, to win a state primary. Yep. Forged really a new good. path, made it easier for number two and three youngest man. Well, do you he's realize, not done. Do you realize he, he, can, he, can run, he can run for president the next 10 elections and still be younger yep. than Bernie Sanders? Yeah, he's not done. And he's I not think, done. look, he brought, he brought decency, intellect, a lack of identity politics, in my, in my view, yep. a public service. And everyone said, I just, I, I, you said, you said earlier in a, in a piece that Bloomberg was my favorite candidate. Mayor Pete was my favorite candidate. Yeah, he I just was. Think Remember Bloomberg, you called him I just think Bloomberg uh, has the best chance of winning. But I think That's Mayor right. Pete demonstrates so much about what's wonderful about America and some of the progress we're making. And I, I think he ran a wonderful campaign. And there is a real dignity, and we've talked a lot about this, to leaving the stage while people are applauding versus too late. He is the first yeah. person that's done that in this campaign. You're a hundred percent right. And you didn't say anything about Tom Steyer. I can't believe it. He left too. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, remember, we love your questions. He has a really nice tie. If you have a question about a story you're hearing in the news, please email us at pivot at Vox Media to be featured on the show. Go for the credits, Scott Galloway. Our producer is Rebecca Sinanis. Our executive producer is Erica Anderson. Special thanks to Rebecca Castro and Drew Burrows. If you like what you heard, please download the podcast and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. We'll see you later this week for a breakdown of all things tech and business. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply.